We are uh, starting a new sermon series uh, called Extraordinary, and it is about the fact that we're ordinary people. That's who these people were that just shared up here. These were ordinary people who had to take time off of their jobs and their school and go down there with all of their preconceived notions about who they are and who they're not and what missionaries are and what missionaries not and what they're capable uh, of doing and what they're not capable of doing and have God empower that. Don't you love this picture of this, you know, you know, the iconic look of the Superman and yet he's not Superman at all. He's just an ordinary person with an extraordinary journey with an extraordinary God. I love this picture. I came across this picture as I was reflecting on this. We love this picture of JFK and little John John, John Jr. and Caroline. They are just literally dancing and having this greatest time in the world in the, their dad's office, in the Oval Office. They've got access to the most powerful man in the world and uh, get to be themselves and look at his delight in them. And then this other picture is just a picture that I think could do well to serve us if you could see, I don't know if you can see Bill, the podium there, if you can see the little John underneath the desk in that place while JFK runs the world. <laughs> that, my friends, is a picture of us. You know, these kids, they see them in the Oval Office, but they were ordinary children with an extraordinary dad. They were having an extraordinary experience because of who their father was. And that's really what our sermon series is going to be about. It's going to be about considering this idea of what we understand about ourselves and the nature of our relationship with God will have a tremendous impact on how it is that we get impacted by that God, how we walk with that God, how we're impacted by that God, and how we in turn get to impact the world, how it is that we live out who we really are. That that's about understanding our ordinariness and God's extraordinariness. So this sermon series is called Extraordinary or Extraordinary or Ordinary, however you want to look at it. And uh, we're going to begin by uh, an introduction, um, just asking the question, who am I? Who am I? Um, the rest of the sermon series is actually, we're going to study some little known, probably uh, least likely to succeed people in the scriptures. Kind of the people who didn't make the, uh, the hall of fame spiritually. People who would be really familiar with this idea of asking the question, like, who, who am I? The emphasis there is not who am I, like the deep existential question, but almost a, a more gritty everyday thing that we all ask, which is who am I that I'm going to interact with this God, that I'm going to be under the desk of the, the president, so to speak. Like, what, like, who am I to warn this? this is, it's so hard for us to grasp and to believe that we're going to have a relationship with this God. It's an age-old struggle. Everybody's asked it. It's a daily struggle for us. Like, who am I that I can have this relationship with God and that this high calling could be on my life? It's sort of like these guys going down to Mexico. I love going to Mexico. I love going to, I've not been in Nicaragua, but I love that. I used to love when I was a youth pastor, I used to love the moment when we would cross the border in the big vans full of kids because they were just like, yeah, I'm a kid. I love, I'm a Marin. I got, I love the world. Here's me. Here's the universe, right? Like that whole thing. And they would get across the border and realize they were not like comfortable and they were in a whole new world that they couldn't conceive of. And they'd be like, oh no, what have I done by coming on this trip? Like, who am I that I would be down here and to think that God could meet me and to think that, that, that I could accomplish anything? Uh, when we ask the question, who am I? We're in incredible company at the burning bush, Moses, uh, God told Moses he was going to go set uh, his people free. 
who were enslaved in Egypt. Remember this? And Moses said to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? David, these, are, these guys are the big names, man. These are, still, these are the big names. These are the guys who did make sort of the annals of great faith leaders. David uh, as well in 2 Samuel um, he, was, he had been prophesied that Nathan told him that God had these great plans for him and his legacy. And David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what's my family that you've brought me this far? Gideon is a well-known judge in Judges 6. He was so unsure, though. He was so full of doubt all the time. Pardon me, my Lord. I love that. Par- pardon me. <clears throat> Excuse me, my Lord. Um, he was talking, to, there was a prophet who was speaking to him, but he was really talking to God. Like, do you ever have that? I mean, just every one of us has ever entered into the spiritual journey has been tempted at some point to go, um, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, Lord. Um, excuse me, Lord. What in the world? And he said, I- I'm, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Samuel told Saul that he was going to be, that Saul was going to be the, the ruler, the first king over Israel. And Saul answered, but, but, I'm not, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Solomon, who was told that he was going to build a temple for the Lord, he said in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, he said, but who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain him? Then who am I? to build a temple for him, except as a place to just be burning sacrifice, incense before him. Jeremiah was told, before I formed you, the Lord told him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Like God's like, I got these big plans for you. And the prophet Jeremiah goes, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. God goes on in that passage to tell him, don't say you're too young. I'm the one that calls you. You see, friends, this is all about being extraordinary, not because we're extraordinary, but because we're ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God and, got be, and are being brought to extraordinary places. Here's the point of the whole sermon series. Here's this, when we come to ask the question, who am I, Lord? Here's Here's a couple of things that I need you to see that I need you to understand about this. And if you missed it, uh, uh, the, this is, this is some, uh, kind of the summary of the whole sermon series. When we ask the question, who am I? And go to that next slide. From the beginning of time, here's the reality. God has made a ridiculously problematic miscalculation. That God from the beginning has made a, a, a mistake, it looks like, an apparent miscalculation. You see, he's chosen to use ordinary people. This is what God has done. From the beginning, he's done this. He's chosen to use ordinary and often less than ordinary people to be his objects of affection, his treasured sons and daughters. God, from the beginning, has said, I'm going to use ordinary people. I'm going to choose ordinary people, less than ordinary people, to be the object of his affection. And then even beyond that, he's called them out to be agents of his good news. He uses ordinary people and calls them out to be agents of his good news. So by his power, he's able to use, look at the words here, by his power, he's able to use flawed, fickle, ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary world altering, barrier-breaking, mind-blowing dreams for the world. 
God uses ordinary, fickle, messed up, broken people. Hello, raise your hand, testimony in the house. To do mind-blowing, world-changing things. This is what God has done. Ordinary people on an extraordinary journey with an extraordinary God. That's the answer to the question, who am I? We're ordinary people. You're going to hear this phrase about 15, 20 times in the next six or eight weeks. We are ordinary people called into an extraordinary journey with an extraordinary God. What's the reason for this series? What's our heart for you? Our heart for you is that we get stuck in the ordinary part of this equation right here, friends. We get stuck in the ordinary part of this. We just think we're, we're just us and we get pretty sure about what it is who it is that we are and what it is that we can accomplish and what it is we bring to the table and how we can interact with God, how intimate it's going to be, how much change we're actually going to see in our lives, what God can do in us and what God can do through us. We get sort of, we get sort of settled in this ordinary expectation about who we are. And we know that we're, we're pretty sure we know who we are and we're pretty sure we know we're a mess and we're pretty sure we know that we're unqualified. And this identity of being kind of this certainty of our ordinariness misses almost entirely that God has chosen us, that he set his affection on us, that he has empowered us, and that by, because of him, because he's the extraordinary part of the equation, we are qualified. We think we're unqualified because we think we're so ordinary. And our heart for you is to understand how God has chosen us, set his affection on us, and empowered us because he's going to do extraordinary things through us because he's this extraordinary God. So we're qualified. We're qualified to engage with him. We're qualified to have him change our lives. We're qualified to have a calling in a ministry. We're qualified to go to Mexico and Nicaragua and see things happen. We're qualified to be his man in our marriage. We're qualified to be his woman in our place of work. We're qualified. And we're not going to want to forget that. Because what we understand about the nature of our relationship with God will determine how it is that we live that out, how we receive what God has for us and how we live out who he's made us to be. So I want to hit uh, kind of on the head. I want to reinforce this idea as we begin this series by naming where we struggle getting our heads around this idea and hearing some truths from the word. You've already seen a whole bunch of scripture this morning, these, these uh, heroes of the faith who are already asking the question, who am I that you would do this stuff through me, God? I'm just so ordinary. And by the way, each one of those stories that I just read, Moses and David and Gideon and Solomon, and each one of those stories goes on. There's this powerful encounter with God where God basically says some version of, yeah, totally. I told, yeah. But my spirit will come on you or my presence will go with you. And in that, we become extraordinary. I want to reinforce some of the the, the, uh, the, uh, these truths by kind of hitting right um, on the head some of the lies that we believe about our qualifications, so to speak, to let God in encounter us and use us. One is we tend to believe, but I want to remind you that our past doesn't disqualify us. Our past doesn't disqualify us. The sin 
that we've been in in the past, the mistakes that we've made, the failure that we've been a part of, it just doesn't define us. Friends, it might describe us, but it doesn't define us. There, every one of us has some version of temptation to believe that when we sort of look back on our story, we think that there's some measure of not being qualified enough to let God really come and meet us, to let God really come and use us, because there's some component of our past that we hang on to, that we were disobedient somewhere along the line where God said, hey, listen, I need you to go do this, and I want you to be this kind of person for me, or I want you to step out. And we said, no, I don't want to do that, God, or I'm too scared. Or somewhere along the line, we just stepped out on our own and we did things or we made choices where that weren't the wisest thing for us. Or some of us along the line have made such colossal messes out of the road. We look in the rearview mirror and we just see the sort of the carnage behind us, the ways in which we've hurt people and the ways in which we've blown up our lives. That's true. We go, who am I, God? And he goes, I, seriously, I know. Look back. But the truth is, friends, that that doesn't define who we are. It describes who we are and who we have been, but it doesn't define who we are. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we think, well, he was a great hero of the faith. We can't relate to him. And so, you know what? We probably won't preach on him and his life during this series because he's such a superstar. But when you go back and look at his journey, you guys, look at 1 Timothy, these verses in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's talking about his, his faith and salvation. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength. Look at these words. That he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. There's this sense in which Paul's saying, listen to you guys, I'm qualified. And this is, this is true for us. That he looks at you, including your past, including the carnage in your distant past, including the sin that you've lived in and that you've cherished, including the, 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 the damage you've done to people, to the world, to yourself. He looks back and he considers you qualified because of his grace. And Paul says, I, I thank my God who's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy even, appointing me to his service. Now, if I had time, I would preach on that thing that we do that when we look and we kind of know, and this, I think of it as a parent, now I'm a parent of young adults, I'm a parent of a married kid, like I'm a parent. I look and I look and I go, I look at my son-in-law, I go, you, are you... Are you, tr okay, are you trustworthy? Like I can see you and who you are. Are you trustworthy? God looks at us with all that we've been through. And because of his grace, he considers us worthy. He considers us qualified. He considers us trustworthy, appointing us to his service. Keep going in the verse. Even then, I was once, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Paul says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, everybody read this next phrase with me. Of whom I am the worst. Is that the best? This is the Apostle Paul. He was less than ordinary, friends. He had such carnage in his past. He should not have ever been a hero for Jesus. He goes, listen, you want to know some truth that you can take to the bank? Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. But for me, verse 16, 
For that very reason, I was shown mercy. The very reason that I was the worst of sinners, I was shown mercy. In other words, God was like, I got a great idea. I'm going to show mercy to the worst of the worst. Why? Do you see what the scriptures say about it? So that in Paul, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would come to believe and receive eternal life. I love this. We tend to think in our ordinariness, well, I made some pretty crucial mistakes in my past. I didn't get started in my spiritual journey till, uh, till late. I know what I'm capable of. I know I'm a this person. I'm a divorced person. I'm a, an ex-con. I'm an addict. I'm a whatever. And we have these labels that define us. And they may be rooted in just a description of junk we've walked through. They may be rooted in, in our mistakes. They may be rooted in our failures. They may be rooted in our flat-out sin. But they only describe us. They don't define us. What defines us is the strength and the grace that was poured out and the love from Jesus so that we now become his people. And Paul goes, and here's the genius. God, in fact, doesn't disqualify me because of my past. God, in fact, has a special job for me because if he could rescue and love and forgive me, then that's good news to every last person in the world who, by the way, has got to be better than me. That's great news. Our past does not disqualify us, you guys. He goes on, by the way, he has that little, he has this phrase of worship at the end of that. He goes, now to the king immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a guy who cannot go to church without lifting his arms in worship because he recognizes that he was rescued and he didn't deserve it. That's grace. Our friend, you guys, our past doesn't disqualify us. In fact, when you go back and look at verse 16 there, he shows off his grace and love through the fact that he rescued us. The whole world gets to go, wow, look at his immense patience. Look at how good God is. Look at the patience God has to have loved Jeff. We are extraordinary people because of God's extraordinary love. Our past does not disqualify us. In fact, friends, you qualify no matter what you've been through. We think our past disqualifies us, but in fact, it's the other way around. God uses us. Second, our past doesn't disqualify us, but also our weakness doesn't disqualify us. Our weakness doesn't disqualify us. Weakness is so misunderstood by Christians. Christianity has this weird bad rap that, that our message is, is that we're trying to tell you every week, be stronger. Come on, show your strength. In fact, don't come to church if you're not feeling very strong because we'll read it right on your face and we'll shame you into not coming again or something. <laughs> Christianity is this weird bad rap and bad, bad uh, uh, experience about, about uh, uh, weakness. But here's the newsflash, is that our scriptures, the holy scriptures, and the message of the gospel assume and celebrate weakness as a reality. Did I say celebrate? It almost promotes weakness. It just, it, 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 it recognizes it as this assumption that that's who we are. We're ordinary and less than ordinary people, but thank God we serve an extraordinary God with extraordinary grace. But we try to kind of somehow put our weakness in the back closet or we don't admit, in the, admit that, we don't live into that. 
Weakness is all in the scriptures. Second Corinthians chapter four, here's a great verse. This, for God said, let light shine out of darkness. This God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's a lot of words. I know it's hard to comprehend all that, but he's just saying this is this incredible God who brought light and who put Christ into our hearts. This is such great news. But then he goes on to say in verse seven, but this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He said, but this great news, we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is not from us, but from God. The ordinariness of us is that we are fragile and that we're easily broken. These are what jars of clay are about. The glory is what God brings into the equation. We're ordinary on an extraordinary journey. It's God who brings that in. The only time we're ever told to be strong in the scriptures, you guys, is when it says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's never even an assumption that you're going to be that strong unless you're strong in the Lord, unless you're strong by his spirit within you. Right? You think about the famous passage where Paul was talking about some difficulties and God said to him, but he, and, and, and Paul quotes it, he says, uh, in 2 Corinthians, he says, but my grace is, he said, but he said to me, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, Paul said, God said this to me, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, therefore I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Listen, that's the Apostle Paul. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'll boast all the more gladly. I will brag about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. You take that to the bank, friends. That's the opposite of what we do as Christians. We get together, we go, how are you doing? I go, oh, better, I'm doing better, I'm, I'm doing better. And then in the back of our minds, we think about the ways in which we fail and the ways in which we've shamed ourselves and the ways in which we just think I'm so subordinary, I'm so disqualified for this God thing. And then the Apostle Paul, the biggest hero of our faith, goes, I'm gonna boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power will rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I understand that God's the extraordinary part of this equation. Friends, I would love, I would love it if more and more we became a culture of a church who got together and bragged about our weaknesses. A no BS zone as a church who just said our past doesn't disqualify us and our weaknesses do not disqualify us. Because of God's grace poured out. Our weaknesses don't, in fact, our weaknesses simply put us in a place to encounter God and to receive his strength in our lives. So you ordinary, fragile, jars of clay, weak, not enough people. Like I tell you, you qualify to encounter this God and to be a blessing for this God. Our past doesn't disqualify us. Our weakness doesn't disqualify us. I'm taking away some of our biggest excuses, aren't I? Our past doesn't disqualify us. Our weakness doesn't disqualify us. Our station in life doesn't disqualify us. Our station in life doesn't disqualify us. This is the kind of question where we say, who who am I that I would do something for God? You know, every one of us has some kind of an excuse about, I lack an education. I didn't come to Christ until late. I was one of those guys who didn't grow up in the church, especially going into ministry. Like once I got into like graduate school, all these people had like 
they were, they, they were 20 years old, but they had like 30 years of church in their past. Do you know what I mean? And everybody knew junk that I didn't know. I was the guy going, what? That's in the Bible? Oh my gosh, you know? Like I didn't go to Sunday school. Like I would, I could go downstairs right now with all of your children and I could sit there and be like, this is awesome. Like it's the first time I've heard stuff. So all of us have some sort of excuse about our station in life, whether it's our experience, our background, our education. Some of us are, live with this sense in which you feel like you're undereducated when you look around Marin. Or some of you feel like because you're uh, uh, you know, a stay-at-home mom or a blue-collar person or just a business guy or a clock puncher or whatever, that you, don't, you, don't, you kind of can't be something extraordinary for God. Everybody has that. You know that everybody has that, not just you. The person next to you does. They have some kind of a thing where I'm just, it's just kind of me and I've been unemployed more than I'm employed or I've been, like whatever our deal is, our station in life tends to kind of become this weird um, inferiority complex. I'm not a pastor, I'm just a young Christian, I'm just a mom, I'm a worse a working stiff or, or maybe our station in life is, I can't really love and serve God. You don't know what my life is like, I got no time. I've got no, I don't have any gifts to speak of. I, got, I don't have resources to give financially. I like, there are folks that haven't figured out how to, how to give a tithe to the Lord, and so they just come to worship and feel shame-filled and don't feel like they have anything to offer God at all in the rest of their week. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen in our heads about wherever the station in life has got us that maybe it just doesn't qualify me to, God, to be God's person. I love this verse in Acts. I've quoted it so many times. This is Paul preaching to the, to the Athenians, Athenians, and he says, from one man... God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God appointed you for this time in this place, for this job and this education and this amount of time and this amount of money. God appointed you for this, as, as in the book of Esther, for such a time as this. Your station in life is God's calling. Our fear is we're disqualified because of where we are in life right now. Friends, the opposite is true. God has qualified you and placed you at this place and at this time for him, for such a time as this, for the people that are around you, for the work that you can do, for the love that you can give, for the encounters that you can have. We've used this phrase before. It's I like this phrase, uh, this time tomorrow. Right now, it's, what time is it? It's 9.51 on a Sunday morning. What's Monday morning 9.51 look like for you? Where are you? What are you doing? This time tomorrow, you were appointed for such a time as that. Where you are, the people you get to love, the influence you get to have, the character you get to display, the, the fellowship you get to have with God at that moment at 9.51 tomorrow is God meeting you. You're qualified to walk with him and to be a blessing for him tomorrow, no matter what your station in life holds. So you ordinary every day, go to work, punch a clock, wipe a nose, make a buck people, you qualify to walk with God and to be a blessing. And last time, I'm kind of out of time, but I don't want you to miss this one. Our family or our pedigree doesn't disqualify us. <laughs> That's probably enough said because most of us live, we don't like to admit it, but we live and we struggle with the fact that our identity may be rooted in the worst part of our family of origin. 
And for some of you, that's a classism thing. For some of you, that's a serial sin that's been in every generation. For some of you, it may be a cycle of brokenness. There may be these labels of violence, addiction, absenteeism, divorce. But who I am is already defined. That's what we think. And it makes us skeptical that we can be used by God. Here's a verse. This is back to that verse of David. He says, your house, this is what the prophet said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported uh, this to David, all the words of what God had said to him. And then King David said this. He went in, he sat before the Lord. You saw this one verse before. And he said, oh, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? Who am I? And do you see the words? And what's my family? I don't come from a stock who gets used by God like this. I don't come from a stock who steps up and has legacy. And then David goes on to talk about legacy. He goes, and if this were not enough, verse 19, in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of this servant. Come on, some of us need to break the cycle of a negative self-image that we do not qualify and we do not come from a people who qualify to please God, to walk with God, and to have a legacy going forward. Some of us need to break the bondage of that lie and say, my legacy. My house will serve the Lord for generations to come and will have an impact on this world for Christ. We've already believed that maybe our family of origin disqualifies us. In fact, the opposite is true. Your family, your pedigree does not disqualify you. In fact, you are not measured by any identity from your past except that you're a child of God and the home of God's spirit within you. And so you qualify to walk with him, to engage with God, and to be a blessing to the world. And so in sum, this is our series and band. You guys can come up because we're going to worship today. Again, we're an ordinary people called into an extraordinary journey with an extraordinary God. Church, you are not the mistakes that you have made. That's not who you are. You are not the mistakes you have made. You are not defined by your weaknesses. You're not limited by your station in life. And you are not just simply what your people have always been that came before you. You're in Christ. You're God's child. You are the home of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And so you, you, as ordinary as you are, are qualified to walk this extraordinary journey with this extraordinary God who will do through your life, in your life and through your life, more than you could even ask or imagine because he's the extraordinary part of this equation. It is in the heart of every one of us to be transformed into the best view of us that God had from eternity past. We have an inkling of who that man, who that woman could be. It is in the heart of every one of us to be that person. And it is in the heart of every one of us to live a life of blessing and love with world-changing impact. That's the privilege that we're called to. And that's what's possible because you have been qualified by this extraordinary God. So as we worship, I want you to go into your phone booth, think about the superhero who changes 
and takes off the ordinariness of everyday life and comes out clothed in power. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory through you. Let's stand together and worship God, for he qualifies us.